be seated. Welcome to the club. When I was a kid, my dad used to take me golfing. Um, I have a biological father that uh, named Ralph Wiegand. He's passed away now, and we it's not we to get along. We're just such different people. Um, but my stepdad really is the one I call my dad, and and I. I'm grateful to God that, that he's been in my life now for over 40 years, and he taught me how to golf. Um, by the way, he's a good golfer, and I'm not, so he's not a great teacher, but he's a great man. And, and he's watching right now. Dad, that was for you. Love you, buddy. Um, he taught me how to swing, and before I'd swing, he said, now remember, these are the basics of a swing. Stick your butt out. I'll point this way so no one has to see it. You know, that your thumbs over your locker and put your, and, and wiggle, waggle, and the butt out, and the arms back. It's just, how many guys know that by the time you hit the golf ball, you look like a, like a yoga contortionist, if you do it right, and, and, but he would remind me now, and he'd say, this is the club you want to use, and this is the swing. You want to come back, you want to come all the way back, or drive, like, come all the way back so you can see the club. And then just uncork on it and just, you know, tear high and let her fly, big daddy. You know what I mean? And, and I remember, even to this day, if I top the ball, because I want to see where the ball's going. How many guys get excited about where the golf ball's going? So excited, in fact, it, you can't possibly hit the ball right because you're so excited. So I would, I would go like this. Because I want to see where the ball was going. And I, to this day, if I top a ball and I hit the ball and it I just kind of rolls down there, I can hear his voice say, keep your head down. Keep your head down. To this day, before I hit the ball, I can hear his voice in my head. It's not creepy. It's fatherhood, okay? It's, it's you know, keep your head down. So I would watch the tee. He said, I'll watch the ball. You watch the tee. So I would, I would wing back and whap, and I'd watch the tee. And, and then, of course, the ball went that way and then in the neighbor's yard, you know, because I'm not a good golfer. And I, I, I say that because we learned last week that in John chapter 14, 15, 16, Jesus He's teaching his disciples, saying, I'm getting ready to split. So me handing you the clubs, me, me telling you how far your backswing is, me, like this season of me being, you know, God in a bod, if you will, like, like confined to one body talking to you, that's going to be replaced. If I go, it's good because the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete is the, the Greek word there, paraclete or paracletus. And he's going to come, and he's going to be inside of you. So instead of me being here to talk to you verbally, seeing me physically in a body, the Holy Spirit's going to come and live inside you. And he can be in everybody at the same time. He's not confined to one place at one time in a human form. And so we talked last week about how, you know, kind of not that in any means at all demean the power of the Holy Spirit, that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the... Am I really loud today, or just feel really loud? I'm loud, aren't I? Yeah, I'm sorry. I really feel forceful. And so turn it down so I can scream at people. It makes me feel better. So if you will, when my father would hand me the right club, tell me how to swing, correct my swing, if I duffed it, he'd throw another ball down and say, I didn't see that. Give me a second chance. In the same way, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, not like a caddy, not like he's our servant, but like he's our father teaching us and empowering us. I can take a ball and I can throw it maybe from here to like a car in the parking lot. But if I take this club with just a gentle light swing, I can hit to the far end of the parking lot with all my effort with my hand to get from here to there. But if I use the power of the club placed in my hand and I swing it properly, man, that thing will just happy go more its way down 300 yards. And the reason is because the power's in the club. We talk about this because it talks about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that some of the gifts seem to have a, a specific purpose. Some are very powerful for the congregation. Some seem to be more like tools that are in witnessing. Some can be used both in the congregation, in the body of Christ, like the gift of healing or the gift of faith. But they're also dramatically used to win people to Christ outside. So today we're going to go to a couple other ones here as we, we talk about these. But I want to just take one minute and look at last week. 
because we answered a very significant and important question. Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today? The answer to that question is on the board. How many guys like tests like that, right? They are for today. We talked about how Peter said on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured, I said, this is that. There was a prophecy in Joel chapter 2 that someday the Spirit will be poured out in a season of time called the last days. What are the last days? They're the last days, right? There's, so what comes after the last days? Unless I'm preaching, nothing comes after the end, all right? When I say an in conclusion, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, it means nothing. So, but when God says last days, He means the last days. So in the last days, something's going to happen. The relationship of God, the ability to interact with mankind will be changed drastically. We know by John 14, 15, and 16, that drastic interactional change is the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit has a lot to do with Old Testament stuff. He really does. He comes upon David and he prophesies. He comes upon David and he kills a giant. He comes upon David and he writes a psalm. But he leaves after the act is done. Now we find out the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So we become, if you will, the body that the Spirit of God enables to do the works of the Father. Jesus had a body empowered by the Spirit and right standing with God to do the works of the Father. We now, because of Jesus, are you guys still here? We are the body now offering ourselves as a living sacrifice for the Holy Spirit to come inside and to perform the works of the Father, bringing the kingdom to earth. So the gifts of the Spirit are for today. They really are. They're for the common good. Uh, They glorify the Lord. They advance the kingdom. And we are exhorted in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 to eagerly desire these things. So the thought that that this was for a season or the apostolic age, I, I again, no division in the body of Christ. Amen? We are not superior. We're not inferior. If you follow Jesus, how many guys know there's level ground at the foot of the cross? Sinners saved by grace. But I will say this. I, I, I'm concerned. I don't, want to, I don't want to cause division, but we must clear up confusion. God is still doing God-like things today through people. It didn't end in the book of Acts. It didn't end in Acts chapter 28, and that was the end, and now you're all on the own because you have the Bible. No. We have the Bible, we have the Word of God, but we also have the Spirit of God that works inside of us. And if you don't believe that, just consider a few things. Like, like every four seconds on the, on the earth, someone is coming to Jesus in a congregation that believes that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Consider that in the United States alone, there's over 13,000 congregations just like us in the Assemblies of God. Consider this, that there's about 40,000 clergy in the United States alone. Consider that there's over 340 million believers globally that believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. This is not some kind of small teaching in some sort of small church in some sort of small town. This is what God is doing on the planet. But I would also say this, man, God's doing some great things through the Baptists and some great things through the Methodists and some great things through the Lutherans and some great things through the Catholic Church. For us to say we're the only ones would be an error, but for us to deny that God is doing something powerful by His Spirit would also be an error. Are you still here? So let's be careful about this. So Today we're going to talk about two more of the gifts that are for today, that are, we have access to, and that's the gift of faith and the gift of healing. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul, again, just kind of giving a quick laundry list of some of the things God had done. Not an exhaustive list, but an example list. This is some of the examples of the way God manifests himself by his spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit, and to, uh, to another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. We're going to tackle this together for a reason that will become obvious in a minute. I think that this one story we're about to get into really shows both a gift of faith and a gift of healing at the same time, and it's going to help us to get through three of the gifts today. Um, now, let me talk about faith for a second. This is not faith as, as in faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God type faith. This is not the ascent to faith. I did not know. I was ignorant. I heard the gospel. My heart embraced what my head couldn't understand, and I trusted God for salvation. That's a beautiful process. This is not a process. This is an instantaneous impartation. There's a difference. Are you guys still here? So in other words, you're walking along the road, and all of a sudden, uh, you see this, this incredible need, or all of a sudden, God, still small voice inside of you, or all of a sudden, some sort of dramatic thing needs to happen, and you, you know, get this faith, I just know. I don't know how I know. I just know that if I do this, God's going to do that. This is kind of a good example of it. I'll show you in just a minute. And then healing. Let me say as well, the gift of healing is distinct from the covenant of healing. Say, Jim, what's the difference? In the blood of Jesus is the covenant of healing. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, prophesies about blood that would be shed by someone yet to come. Jesus comes, and as Isaiah prophesied, he was wounded for our transgressions. So his blood flowed outwardly through wounds for our outward acts of disobedience. How many of you know the blood is there for what we've done wrong? Second thing, he's bruised for our iniquities. Blood flows inwardly for our inward tendency, our sin nature, so that sacrificial blood is shed inwardly for our inward tendency to continue to sin. How many of you guys get that? Wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised. I mean, he was in a, a, a confusing, horrifying, painful circumstance that Jesus placed himself into as a substitution for our, the punishment for our sins. He takes it on. So he's chastised for our peace. We just talked about peace. And the last part of that's in the, the blood atonement, the blood covenant. Are you guys doing okay? I'm using a lot of theological language. Some of you guys are looking at me like deer in a headlight. You okay? In the last part, by his stripes, what happens? We're healed. So his flesh is shredded by a whip, but in the shredding of perfect flesh is the healing of our imperfect bodies. Our bodies don't deserve healing. It's, it's because of our sin we're separate from God, because of our habits, because of our inability, because of our disobedience, because of sin, all the way back to the garden. If you never you know, did anything, you're still born into sin because of Adam and Eve's sin and all the way through. So we're born into sin. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, flesh is going to die. But there's this thing that interrupts the progression of sin. It's the righteousness of Jesus' blood being shed for sinners. And so we have the right to claim healing. So there's the covenant of healing, but then there's this gift of healing. What's the difference? The covenant of healing is basically exercised, like James says, I think it's James chapter 4, is any among you sick? Let him, let him call the elders of the church. You know, I can see back in Hebrew, hey, Martha, get me Peter. And, you know, Martha, through the coconut shells, gets Peter on the phone. What's up? They go, Pete, I, you know, my wife is sick. Would you come to my house? Pete says, I'll be right there. It's before cellular technology. Trust me, it's in the Bible. And he walks across, you know, Jerusalem or whatever. He gets to the house. He walks in. What's going on? My mother-in-law's sick. And my wife's sick. My kid's sick. Well, the, the elder... That, that which had been matured in the body of Christ would take oil, embodying or representing the Holy Spirit, and would place oil and the sick anointed with oil, a prayer offered in faith. And James promised in the covenant of healing, the atonement blood shed, is that the sick would be made well. Now, that's, that's the atonement. That's for all of us. That's like saying you have the gift of salvation. No, salvation's in the blood. That's like saying the, the gift of peace. No, peace is in the blood. Are you guys still here? But there is something that's kind of outside of that normative practice of praying for those that are sick that's just the gift of healing. Like sometimes people just get healed because somebody just goes, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm praying for you. I just feel like God wants me to pray for you. Like it's, like we all have compassion to pray for people that are sick, yes? I mean, I hope so, yes? Okay, this is not that. This isn't the compassion to heal. This is the power. This is the gift. He will be healed if you pray for him. 
He'll be healed if you spit in mud and rub it on his eyes. He'll be healed if you speak the word to him. Like there's this knowing in your knower that God is about to, like you're just a vessel. Like I just need to get out of God's way and just pray for you because God's going to heal you. And we see this in one story I'll show you here. It's in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. All the gates had different names. There was the Dung Gate. And how many of you guys don't want to lay by the Dung Gate? You know what I mean? There is the Gentile Gate and all sorts. So this this is the nice one. Everybody comes and goes through. It's kind of a thoroughfare. He was laid by the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. God's community has always been a generous community. And so in the commandments of Moses, if you see someone, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's begging a foreigner, uh, an alien, uh, whatever, like care for them. So you're bringing your offerings to the temple, but you are allowed to on your way bring your offerings to the temple to give them to people that were in need. Isn't that beautiful? By God's command. So they got to take care of people. It's awesome. So they would lay people that had needs, couldn't, couldn't work. And so this guy was laying there as he had for years and years. Peter looked straight at this guy, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us, exclamation point. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, what is he expecting? He's begging for what? And what's he expecting to get? Now, the next line might be disappointing to him. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now look what happens. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Um, just a little bit of backstory again. Common practice to lay people by the gate uh, of the temple. So people are walking in with their alms for the poor, their gifts for the Lord, their offerings and sacrifices. And so understand this. He wasn't the only guy there that day. Now, the Bible doesn't say there was multitudes there, but we, we would know from experience, we'd know from the law that if that's where the pickings are good, that's where people are going to go, right? You ever see, and there was a beggar in a back room of a pub that no one went to. Like, that, that's never there. Where are the beggars? The beggars are where people are. I want to be where people are. It's the little mermaid syndrome. I want to be where the people are. And so he was by that gate. People are thinking about God. They're thinking about being right with God. They're thinking about generosity towards God. They've got stuff in their hands. So that's where you lay them. So it's, there's, a, there's an excellent chance, almost 100%, that he was not the only person that needed a healing that day. So why him? Why then? It's because the Holy Spirit walked up beside Peter and John and said, hey. And, and I don't know what you want to call that. Is it the gift of faith? Because you say, well, it's the gift of healing. He was healed. I know that. But to grab someone who's never stood by the right hand and pull him to his feet requires more than the gift of healing, in my opinion. The gift of healing is, I pray for you in Jesus' name. All right, you try to stand up. It's different than grabbing onto some Because there's one of two things that's about to happen, right? Either he's about to grab the guy by the hand and he's going to stand up. Or he's going to grab the guy by the hand and that ain't good. So I think he had both. I think he had both a, a gift of faith in that moment and a gift of healing in that moment, given to him by the Holy Spirit. Did Peter or John heal the man? No. What happened? It was God's will to heal him that day. And to get that man from where he was to where he needed to be took more than the strength of Peter and, and John's ability to move the ball down the, down the court. Court. 
fairway. Sorry. <laughs> IR sports, right? And so he hands him, really, I, I, to me, this is a driver. I mean, this is, this is not some sort of, you know, chipping wedge. This guy, his testimony, the faith that it took. So I believe in, in, the, in the atonement there is healing. I believe in the atonement, you know, we, we are given the, the ability. And we can believe with our heart, confess with our mouth, and we're saved. We can believe anointing with oil and, and those that are sick will get well. This is not that. This is, this is a distinct thing from that. It's almost as if sometimes this is a great tool to get people to hear the gospel. There's a woman named Heidi Baker who lives in Mozambique, Africa, and her habit for evangelism is kind of interesting. She goes into a small village. She speaks the language of that village, or she has someone from the village that speaks the language to an interpreter. She'll say these words, bring to me the sickest people you have in your village, and my God will heal them. How many guys know that either works or it doesn't? But because this is something that God has used her in so often, they bring the sick from the village. They're carried in, and they're, and they're drug, and they're, and they're the, you know, they're all these different things, and they're dying, and they're children, and they're elderly, and they're crippled, and, and they're sick, and, they're, and she prays for them, and, and through this gift of faith to announce it, and this gift of healing, God comes in and heals them. How many guys think they might want to hear about Jesus now? You see what I'm saying? And that's what this is. This is, a, this is a people that already have a religion, thank you very much. We already have a temple, thank you very much. We already have priests, thank you very much. We already have blood sacrifices. I mean, it's, it's good for you, but we've already got our own. Well, how many of you guys know sometimes I'd rather deal with an atheist that doesn't know anything about God than a religious person who thinks he knows him already and doesn't, right? So he, they just kind of blow their traditions out of the water through this gift of faith, this gift of healing God puts in their hand. They take a good whack at the ball, and the dude, is, he jumps to his feet. He's dancing. He's leaping. He's hollering. He's, he's healed. And it brings glory to God, and it's interesting. I, I had a friend of mine named Johnny Glover. Johnny was a great person of faith, but he also had gifts of faith. God would give him things that would drive me insane. Let me say this to you. Sometimes if you're great in faith, you irritate those who are not. It's good for them. Don't, don't stop being you. Nobody stop being you, the Jesus that wants you to be, because it irritates people. But please be aware that sometimes... People like you irritate people like me, and people like me irritate people like you. Johnny had great faith, so much faith, in fact, that he almost had no common sense. I was supposed to speak at a banquet. First time I ever met him, he said, hey, I want you to, you know, I prayed, and God said, come to the Master's Commission, the version of FCMA, and preparing for ministry. And I walked in the door, and I asked the director, who's supposed to come with me to speak to Navajo uh, youth on the reservation for a Valentine's banquet in February. He goes, uh, what about that one? He looked at me and said, yep, that's the one God wants. Walks over and says, you're speaking at a banquet out, out the northeast of uh, Gallup, New Mexico on February 14th. It's a thing, and I'll, I'll pay for everything, and you just come with me, and I'll drive. And I went, oh, what an honor. I'd, I'd love to. How I many you know when you're young, you love adventure. When you're old, you love to talk about the adventures you had when you were young. And, and I, I'll go. So he's supposed to pick me up at the church at noon. I get there at 11.45 because I'm military and being late is terrifying. And I still haven't overcome that as my staff will testify. And, and I'm there early and 12 o'clock comes and goes. And it's 12.15. How many guys know if, if you've been taught to be on time, 12.15 is a little insulting. 12 o'clock is, is like, well, they don't take it seriously. They're civilians. Forgive them. You know what I mean? 12.15 is like you're wasting my time. 12.30, 12.45, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Three o'clock, and Johnny's not there. I don't even know this guy. I met him one time. You're supposed to come with me to Gallup, New Mexico. Well, I'm wondering if I, I know why no one else is going with him, you know? 
Three o'clock, he pulls up in his pickup truck. Coolers in the back full of steaks and baked potatoes and all that kind of stuff. Hey, get in, Jim. You ready to go? God's great. Any good? I'm like, Johnny, you're three hours late. Did I miss something? No, no, I just, I was three hours late. I'm like, yeah, you were. And, and this is before cell phones, and I called your house, and this is before answering machines, and you didn't answer, and I've been calling for hours, and where have you been? It's just habit. I'm wanting to hit him with a club. This is not the gift of the Spirit now. This is a club, okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Well, the money didn't come until about 11.45. The money came in the mail, and then I had to get the check cashed, and then I had to go to the butcher to get the steaks. I wanted the best steaks. And I had to go to the, the organic market to get the baked potatoes. And, the, and then I had to go to, the, to get the butter from like organic, you know, Irish sheep or something. And I had to, so I got all the food. Let's go. I'm like, well, dude, why didn't you do that yesterday? He said, I didn't have the money yesterday. So where was the money? He said, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? He said, God told me that to feed 100 kids on Valentine's Day, get a student from Master's Commission, he provided for everything. So I woke up at 9 o'clock, and, and I didn't have any money. So I just prayed. At 11.45, I heard the mailman go, went out to the mailbox, and the exact amount of money I needed for the steaks and the baked potatoes I'd already put on order, uh, it came. So I went and bought them all, and now I'm here. I'm like, You're, this is going to be a bad weekend. <laughs> this is going to be a bad weekend. And sure enough, the dude just lives that way. This just, God just says, swing again, swing again. And I, I don't know if, I don't know to what extent God has a sense of humor, but now looking back at it, I look at me as a young idealistic theologian who knows so much about God in my box that he would never do things outside of my box. And God, every time I'm around Johnny, Johnny frightens me with the amount of faith that he has. And it's just, it's not just everyday faith, it's the gift of faith. How many of you guys know, if you tell a bunch of people you're coming with steaks, you better get some steaks. And the morning of, they weren't there, and Johnny was okay, because it isn't time to go yet. The gift of faith, the gift of healing. Um, I know we still got the server, but the gift of healing. I, I just watched so many times. I love that story. I heard it today for the first time about neuropathy. You pray once, and there's a little whatever. Pray again. How many of you guys know we can pray again? You know, God never starts a healing. He doesn't finish. So let's pray again. Jesus prays for a man who, who's blind. He says, what do you see? He goes, I see men walking about as, as trees. But he prays again. How many of you know if Jesus can pray again, we can pray again too? Sometimes it takes faith to pray the first time. Sometimes it takes more faith to pray the second time and the third time. They kept praying. The guy gets up and runs around the kitchen, as I understand. I love that. What is that? What, what makes you pray again? Because the Holy Spirit says swing. There's the, there's the atonement of healing. There's the atonement that provides faith. But then there's these gifts that come our way too. And we need them, guys. You guys still here? Last one. We'll keep going here. Miraculous powers. Talk about miraculous. This is a fun one. I like this one. Uh, and they're all fun, by the way. But this is the one that just, I don't know why this delights me more than the other ones. Um, it, it just does. So to another, God gives the club, the gift. Swing this. Miraculous powers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. They're all my favorite, but this is my favorite favorite. So what's miraculous powers? It's when God breaks his own natural laws here on earth and, and inserts or supersedes the kingdom, the supernatural. Um, some examples of this would be things like multiplying loaves and fish. How many guys know that doesn't happen? How many people would uh, a couple of loaves and three fish or five fish feed? I mean, probably, what, 10 people, 12 people? That's the natural law. The natural law says whatever happens naturally happens. There's spring, summer, fall, winter. There's sunrise, there's sunset. There, there's uh, seed time, watering, harvest, winter time. There's, it just is what it is. It's, it's the patterns that God has established consistently and, and has hidden some pretty amazing things and some pretty ordinary stuff. But this is not that. This is, this is something else. This is when, you know, some loaves and some fish feed 10 people, but some loaves and some fish in the kingdom 
under the, the domain, the, the, the dominance, the power of the king. Domain, kingdom, D-O-M is in there. When the kingdom comes, his will is done. So how many can loaves and fish feed now? How many of you guys know that when it's up to us, they feed a certain number of people? When it's up to God, it will always meet the need and more. That's just, that's just the kingdom. It's kingdom math. It's, it's different than what ours is. Oh, we got things in there like calming a storm. I have known people that are good sailors that stay calm in storms. But it takes more than being a good sailor to calm a storm. The natural may be able to stay calm in a storm, but the supernatural is needed to calm the storm. Walking on water. Again, you walk on water, unless it's you know, this Thursday where it's 50 below zero at the wind chill factor, you're, you're going to sink. It's liquid. It cannot sustain it. It lacks the surface tension to, su- to sustain, to maintain body weight. You sink beyond the surface tension. That's the natural law. But supernaturally, Jesus walks on water, and for a short time, Peter does too. How? Because when the kingdom comes, his will is done. And there's no such thing as liquid if he wants it to be solid. And there's no such thing as solid if he wants to walk through it. When his kingdom comes, his will is done. And, and chains falling off. How many of you guys know in Acts chapter 16, an earthquake comes. Paul and Silas are in prison. And something constructive happens in an earthquake. How many of you guys know what happens in an earthquake? It's not constructive. It's, it's destructive. 250,000 people in Haiti you know, lost their lives in a matter of moments because the earth shook. This is a violent occurrence. The earth shook and construction happened. How many guys think that's fairly rare? Chains fell off. What does the earth shaking and locks being undone have to do with anything? Stocks being opened, doors flying open. I'm here to tell you guys, this is a fun one. How many guys like miracles? I like the stories of miracles. I like the, all this kind of stuff. I, one of my favorite miracles, we used to do this all the time. And I, I so I don't get anybody in trouble. We used to cross international, an international border regularly with things that we were not supposed to cross international border with. And, and literally would have vehicles full of stuff that was not supposed to be crossing the international border. And I would watch as we'd be pulled to the side and inspected in these vehicles. Now, I may just know, if I can see it, they can see it. And I can see it. There's no way. We're not even trying to hide it because it's just, it's impossible. And if you do hide it, you're probably in more trouble than you go, oh, I didn't know we weren't supposed to bring that in. So a U-Haul truck full of stuff that was not supposed to go across an international border. We got to the border. They pulled us over. There's a green light. Go, green light. Go. We pull up. Red light. Pull over for inspection. So we all start praying. God, blind the eyes of the people that would see what we're bringing in because it needs, it needs to get into people's hands. You still with me? They would open the tailgate. They'd look in. And I'd be standing next to them because I have to stand next to them during inspection. And I'm not sitting there going, yeah, isn't this fun? I'm going, oh, Jesus, please. You know, never once did they ever find what was in plain sight that they were looking for. That's a miracle. I, I, I think about, I told you this story before, but the, the bionic squirrel, the junior high kid that was always missing, we're in a barrio in, in uh, central Mexico, just outside Mazatlan. The Sinaloa cartel is in charge. Uh, people are getting killed. Bodies are being hung from local bridges. It's dangerous. Don't go in. You stay right with me. You're just, you're just white on rice, and I'm, I'm rice. And this one kid, Corey, just takes off one day. We were to do the drama. Where's, where's Corey? I don't know. I don't see him. Like, ah. Oh. And that's the one you kind of want to not bring back home with you. It's okay in some ways, but in other ways, it's probably wrong. You know, I love Corey. And, and he's on the far side of the field because a storm is coming. And he's on the far side of the field with his hands up saying, God, it shall not rain on this field until we're done. And he spoke to the storm. Storm, I speak to you in Jesus' name. You will not rain on these people. You will not rain on these people. And the rain was raining there and there and there, but it did not rain on the field until we were done presenting the gospel and people got saved by the dozens that day. It was beautiful. I, I've seen so many miracles. 
Uh, I think one of my favorite miracles, babe, was, remember the year we just figured out what our finances were? We were doing a building fund, and God was working on our hearts for generosity, and you, you were about, you know, eighth grade, and I was about third grade, and you said, hey, let's do this. And what her idea was, was everything over and above, our minimum payments on all debt, credit card debt we had out the wazoo, a mortgage, car payment, maybe car payments, Kids were young, they needed school clothes. But we just dedicated every dollar over and above our minimum payments. And I don't remember what our dollars were. Let's say, you know, we had $1,000 coming in and $800 was our, our, what we needed just to keep the lights on. The other $200 for a year, we said, this belongs to God. How many of you guys know that, that in the right economy, that means if a, if a tire goes flat, we're tattooed. If you want to go on vacation, that's tough. Even grandma's house is too expensive. You know what I mean? And this is what God did all year long. He just kept saying, handing us blessings, handing us blessings. And it was this gift of faith to trust God during that season. And, and I'd like to say, and to this day, we continue. We don't. That, that season ended. I was grateful for it, and I ran for my life into the next season. You know what I mean? But during that season, it was shocking that at the end of that year, we had less debt than we'd ever had. Our kids had brand new clothes to go back to school. We took a debt-free vacation. We took somebody else's kid with us and paid for his school clothes, too, while we were there. It's just crazy. What I'm saying is this, this gift of faith to just trust the Lord for the miraculous, for loaves to become multiple loaves and fish to become multiple fish. And, and I just want to remind you as we kind of wrap it up here, and if you guys want to join me here, uh, worship, piano guy, um, we can ask for these. And 1 Corinthians 12 says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I guess just so you, you say it with your own mouth, how are we supposed to desire these? With what sort of heart mindset? It's, this is eager. This, yes! This is Christmas morning. I got my name on it? It's mine. Give it to me. This is not like, well, if it's the Lord's will. This is like, I want these. I'm looking for these. I'm open for these. I, I want this to happen. Eagerly desire. And then verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire. There it is, eagerly desire the greater gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to close it out this way by just saying this, because I think this is really integral to our teaching. What is it that activates these gifts? Um, you guys doing good? Okay. How many of you guys would like this to happen in your life? You'd like for the Lord to hand you a couple clubs and you could swing, all right? And not everybody raised their hand. That's okay. That's okay. But I would say this to you. If, if you want to see God move, then do the good stuff. But if you want to see God really, like, hit the ball 300 yards, that requires something else. So I'm, I'm not saying coming to church, being a good person, reading your Bible, all that's great. But I will, I will warn you about this. I've seen consistently and appropriately an eventual dissatisfaction with a Christianity that doesn't experience the supernatural. When, when it's incumbent upon me to do, to do, to do, to do, to do, and God never seems to like join me in that, it feels a little one-sided. I go to my Bible study and I read about the miracles, but I don't recall ever seeing one. I, I, I go to my Sunday school class, I go to my group, I go to my, my closet to pray, and I, and I ask God, but I never seem to... I, don't, I have never had a word of knowledge, never had a word of wisdom, never been used in the miraculous, never seen healing. Like, trust me, guys, eventually you'll have a growing dissatisfaction because I think you were saved to do more than behave. Can I say that again? Because it wasn't a good reaction. Somebody gave you a second chance at it. You were saved by the grace of God to do more than just behave. You're supposed to be dangerous. You're supposed to be active. You're supposed to be alive. You're supposed to be light. You're supposed to be salt. And so these are the ways that really, you know, no one's going to say, what a good man, what a good woman. They're going to say, what a great God, because men don't heal femurs on the spot. Women don't multiply loaves and fish or gas or 
you know, gasoline in the tank or whatever, whatever it is, like provision. Trusting God is the faith walk. And if you don't trust God, then, then we have belief that lacks an act of faith and we'll grow discontent with that. So if you want to really walk in these things, this is what I would say that number one thing you've got to do is this. You've got to believe that you believe that you believe that God loves you. That he's willing to help you learn how to swing. He's willing to hand you the right club. He's willing to use you. Yes, you. No, not me because of what I... No, no. He knows what you did last night. He, he, he knows what you did last week. He knows the greatest shame of your life. And Jesus died to pay for what makes you ashamed. His death and resurrection buries your past and births your destiny. He knows about it. trusting God's love. Because if you don't trust God's love, you'll walk in all sorts of fear and doubt and timidity. And Paul's trying to tell Timothy, listen, man, don't... God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Don't be timid. But he's given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Now fan in the flame the gifts that are in you through the laying out of my hands and, and the elders, the presbytery that laid their hands on you. Like, there's been stuff put inside. There's seeds. Now you gotta, you got to water it. There's been sparks. Now you got to fan them. And, I mean, you are just a few acts of your free will away from seeing the miraculous. But if you don't believe in you, listen, the fact that God believes in you is negated by the fact that you don't believe in you. So if he believes in you, let's not correct him. <laughs> I like you. Well, you shouldn't. I want to use you. Well, that's your mistake. I'm sorry. I, you, know, you must not know me that well, God. <laughs> All-knowing God, I have something to tell you. Sit down. David's a murderer, but he's also a king. You know what I'm saying? Abraham, the father of faith, did some pretty stupid stuff. I'm just here to tell you guys, God's better and believes in you more than you do. And, and the sooner you agree with him, the better your life, the better your fruit, the better your eternity. He loves you. Get over it. <laughs> Get used to it. He's not changing his mind. Second thing is, is loving your neighbor. If you want to be using these gifts, what activates them, I believe, is love. 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit in a congregational setting. 1 Corinthians 14, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a personal and congregational setting. Well, what's between chapters 12 and 14? Anybody know? Chapter 13. You're good at math. I love this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the love chapter. And he goes, and now I will show you the most excellent way. He goes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm an obnoxious noise. If I have a faith yeah, that they can move mountains, but I have not love, I, I, I'm, I'm nothing. If I give all that I am to the poor, I surrender my bodies as like a sacrifice on the altar of God instead of a bull or a ram or a goat, it's me. Like if I just give everything and I am on the flames and I sacrifice everything that I am, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. He gives us a description. It's kind. It's gentle. And it doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You got Well, love's a feeling. I'm not saying there's not feelings with love, but love is a decision that you make over and over and over and over again to treat others for their highest good consistently, no matter the cost and no matter the reciprocation. And so when you decide, I'm just going to be loved and I'm going to love, you will be shocked at what happens. To be shocked at, at the, the ability. Listen, God's love started all this. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere without it. It's the power behind it. If you seek power only, I'm afraid of what you might find. But if you seek love, you know what I mean, primarily, and the gifts come with that love, wow, come on. I just want the gift of prophecy because I want to be a prophet and put it on my business card, Prophet Jim. 
man, you'd be better off being a nonprofit corporation. But as you seek love, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, you seek love, keeping no record of wrongs. You seek love. <laughs> Cute noise. You seek love. And you find the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I will, I will tell you this. Remember, I stand to your feet, so I'm closing, all right? I will tell you this. If you pray for me and I'm not healed, let me say it. If you pray for me and I'm not healed, if you speak a word of prophecy to me and you missed it by a mile, if you say, I have a word of wisdom for you, um, there's someone here and there's a vowel in your name. There may be a consonant, perhaps more than one. You're a mammal and uh, you have hair. Uh, you drank milk as a child and you like to eat. Uh, yeah, like, come on. But, but you, and you miss it by a mile. But you love me? But you love me? I mean, love me. It's wonderful. Dan Abel, where are you? Can I tell the story about when I was puking in the hospital in Ohio? I hate Ohio State. I wanted to throw up all over Columbus. I got the worst stomach something I've ever had in my life. And I used to be an alcoholic. So when I say the worst, I mean, I've got something to compare it to. I puked and puked and puked and puked until I could not breathe and literally lost consciousness from lack of oxygen. The most violent blowing of my guts I've ever experienced. You guys want more pictures? Or can I, am I coming down? Okay, good. Some of you need the gift of healing in a second. I don't stop talking. I, I finally tell my wife after I, I regain consciousness, I just whispered, call the ambulance. I'm dying. Call the ambulance. I don't really remember them picking me up. I don't remember them getting me in the ambulance. I, don't, I remember being in the emergency room and Dan... This is like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Dan and Kelly join us. And Dan was, Dan, can I talk a little bit about your background? Dan's a heroin addict. No, I'm kidding. Dan, Dan is a, but he is an Ohio State fan, and there's such similarities that it just seems. Dan's theology, prior to coming here and starting to think about some things differently, was that the gifts of the Spirit and these things, healing and so forth. Am I right? It was, it was for yesterday, but not for today. One of the best men I know. I, that's, that's another reason. It's like, don't ever separate us over these things. The Holy Spirit should unite us, not separate us. And when he put his hands on me that night, he said, can I pray for you? And I'm like, <laughs> which I think was yes. I'll never forget. He took, he took his hands and he put them, like one was on my knee and one was like on my, on my shin. And he, he didn't just go, oh, God, don't let me catch it. He like grabbed onto my legs, and I remember feeling the power of God surge through my body. But this was this was the manifestation of the power of God. I didn't go, oh, get me a nacho. I felt through Dan Abel such a strong love from God that nothing else mattered, including the agony that I was in. And I say that to you, and I say, so that we should just be so loving and don't worry about the gifts. No, no. I think we should be loving and worry about the gifts. I think we should be loving and, but I know this, where his theology was and where his faith, I don't know what he's asking God for. I remember, I just remember this going, that dude loves me. It's two o'clock in the morning, and when he's, it's, it's like a father touching a child times a hundred. I mean, it shot through my body. I wasn't instantaneously healed, but I was instantaneously loved. And if the best you got is love, trust me, it is the most excellent way. 
And when you love somebody, you're moved with compassion, and their pain is your pain, and their need is your need. Guys, I, I'm all for the power gifts, and I'm all for miracles and signs and wonders, but if we're going to seek anything, let's seek the most excellent way. And from love, let's pray for the sick. And from love, let's exercise the gifts. And from love, let's take the clubs that God gives us, because when you love somebody, you can't help but try to get them down the fairway another 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards, whatever God's club is in your hand. If we love each other and we create an environment of love, we're not going to lose. If we created a, a, you know, performance and failure, no one was going to want to do this because you're going to be afraid of failing. But if you're motivated by God's love for you and your, God's love through you, even if you fail, you succeed. So, Father, I pray today. Oh, I went too long. God, I pray you bless these people. I pray you put clubs in their hands, God. I pray that because of love, you would place balls on tees and in sand traps and in thick grass and in the middle of fairways, and you had them just the right club at just the right time to swing just the right way. And if they duff it, drop another one. And if they top it, let them hear your voice saying, keep your head down. And in the end, God, I pray because of your voice, because of you teaching us to swing, because of the clubs you place in our hands, may we advance your kingdom to a new level, God in our lives and corporately as well, I pray in Jesus' name. Listen, if you're not right with God, go back to number one. He loves you. And you can fight theology, and you can argue atheism, and you, you, can, you can find all sorts of isms, um, Catholicism or atheism or Assemblies of Godism. Or, you know what I mean? I, I, I get it. But everything's going to pale in comparison. Like you're, Everybody wishes Jesus was what he said he was. Everybody wishes that God really loved them. Everybody wishes it was true. And sometimes these, these anemic attempts, these long dead traditions come and say, this is God. And it's unsatisfying. We can walk away and say, if that's God, then I don't get it. But man, our souls wish that there really was a God, that he really did love us, that he really was powerful, that he really did know us, that he really wanted to be engaged in our life. And I'm telling you, whatever you've experienced up to this point, I'm not inviting you to join this church. I'm not asking you to study our traditions. I'm asking you, do you know the living God? And if you don't, do you know enough about him to know that he wants to be known? Seek his face. Something stands between your heart and his, this beautiful thing given to us called repentance, where you say, God, I'm going to put away the inferior things for the superior pleasures of Christ. I run you. I prefer you. I ask for you. And in doing so, a new thing begins. So new, in fact, Jesus calls it being born again. Win for the Lamb, the reward for His sufferings. Don't let gifts go unopened. Don't let sins be unforgiven. Don't let peace be something that eludes you. Jesus died. He suffered. He bled so that you could have these things. Win for the Lamb now, the reward for His sufferings. All He wants is for you to get it just like any father.